0: You're listening to the AR-15 Podcast on the Firearms Radio Network. Welcome to the AR-15 Podcast. This is the podcast about your favorite black rifle. This show is for you if you're building your first AR or you've been building ARs for years. There is something we can all do
1: to take our black rifle
2: to the next level.
1: Welcome to episode 152 of the AR-15 podcast. I am JD and Reed, JW, and Anthony as they are enjoying the Christmas and New Year's holidays with their families. Uh, we hope you had a very Merry Christmas and looking forward to a great new year of 2016 coming up here in just a couple of days. We're going to go ahead and take a look back here on episode 152 at some of the segments that stood out over the past year also, uh, I was able to dig and do a little searching back and find this little audio nugget. It was the first time
2: Reed was on the show. Uh, Reed, is, you guys are actually buddies. You guys shoot together and hang out? Yes. And Reed, uh, I guess tell me a little little bit about you. What, what do you do and what's your background?
3: I am a lawyer in Dallas. I come to my uh, black rifle disease honestly. I'm a former Marine. Uh, schooled in the, uh, the manual of arms for the black rifle and it's the, uh, it's the platform I use as often as I can.
2: Awesome. You're, wait, you're a lawyer? What, what am I doing here? Steve, <laughs> you didn't tell was... me that. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: didn't want to break the news to you.
2: I figured I'd let him do it. Do I need to read like a long disclaimer at the end of the episode now?
3: <laughs> no, I, I haven't finished drafting it yet. Okay.
0: Anything Reed says from here on out should not be misconstrued as legal advice, unless, of course, it is given as
1: legal advice, in which case that's not considered to be there. (laughs) That's correct. That's what happens when you leave me in charge, Reed. I'm able to find those audio things like that. I believe that was from the AR-15 podcast episode three was Reed's first show also want to mention Patriot Patch Company. They make this episode the bandwidth for this episode possible. Check them out. Just got my Christmas patch in the mail a couple of weeks ago from Jake. That's going to be one of those seasonal patches that I'll take out and put on my gear. They've got all sorts of stuff. Flags, great things to check out for your gear. Check it out. Patriot Patch Company. I uh, also want to thank the folks at Otis uh, who help us out with the giveaway all year long. We'll be announcing this week's winner towards the end of the show. And now... Want to check out one of the segments that really stood out to me as something I want to get into. Um, maybe this year, next year, I don't know when time's going to allow, but I've always been interested in three gun. Anthony had a really cool kind of first experience with getting involved in the three gun world. Uh, he and Reed talked about it on episode 130 of the AR 15 podcast. And here it is now on the Best of the AR-15 Podcast, Episode 152. Well,
3: hey, Anthony, uh, it's been a while since uh, you've been back, but you attended your first three-gun match.
0: Yep. Man, all I can tell you is I'm hooked. That was the most fun I've had in forever, absolutely forever. Um I went over to Dothan, Alabama. Anybody knows where that is. I live in southern Alabama. That's about two hours away. Um, They do a three-gun match. I think it's the third or fourth Sunday. I can't remember exactly which of every month. And as you guys know, I'm still fairly new to shooting, what, two and a half years, give or take. And I've never done any sort of competition shooting before of any kind. And I've wanted to get into three-gun. You guys have heard me talk about three-gun for a long time. And I thought, oh, this is my chance. This is my chance. And I thought that back in November. And I thought it in December, and I thought it in January, and you know how things go. So, life well, finally got out of the way last month, and I thought, okay, I'm ready to go. Um, I've read all this stuff online about what to carry to 3-gun, how to get ready for 3-gun, how to practice. And I bought a Stoker M3K. No, oh, not 3K. Sorry, that's the new one, the M3000. And I got, uh, what's the tube, the expansion magazine tube for that thing? Reed, do you remember? Oh no. The standard ones everybody gets. I can't remember what the brand it is now. My, that's off the top of my head, but got my, um, magazine for that thing. I can do 11 plus one on it, which is really nice. And I've got my standard Glock 17 stock. Nothing's changed on it whatsoever, Gen 4. And my Bushmaster AR, which you guys have, if you listen to the show, you've heard all the different modifications that I've made to that gun uh, over the last couple of years. So I load all that stuff up and I'm thinking, okay, what else do we need to carry? And I've read, you know, you need to carry this, you need to carry that, blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay. Last minute pick. And this was the best thing I did, period. I'm telling you guys, if you go to three gun, grab yourself some sort of a stroller. You don't have to, you don't need a three gun stroller. Don't, you don't need one at all. Mine is a dog stroller. <laughs> a
3: dog stroller? The big,
0: it's a dog stroller. Wait a
3: minute. A yeah. dog stro- They make
0: those? Hey. Yes, they make those. Thank you very much. Do you have a dog that
3: has no legs?
0: I have a little four-pound Yorkshire Terrier that can't walk three miles without like getting winded and overexercised. Yeah, because his legs are this long, man. How many steps is that? So, yeah, I have a dog stroller. Um, And, yes, it's an actual dog stroller. If you look in the bottom of it, it's got the little thing hook on their collar or their harness or whatever to keep them from jumping out and stuff.
3: You know, I think before we go any further, I just want to let you know <laughs> that perhaps you won't get your man card yanked because you put a rifle in your dog stroller. That's I, think, right. I think that might. A rifle. And a shotgun. Shotgun. Yep. That might, in fact, yep. might save you from having your man card yanked. But I wouldn't push it. That's right.
0: Uh see, when I got there, everybody else has strollers, except for the other new guys. Um, so it was, it was really good. We'll go into it in just a second. I'm, I'm telling a story, Reed. I'm telling uh, a story.
3: I know. So, but, you know, I just had to voice the
0: thing that our listeners are each saying to themselves. Yep. What? They make those? Yep. They do. They do. And it's, it's cool, man. It's really cool. They've got the big pneumatic wheels on them. You know, it's they're not little plastic wheels on them, they've got a suspension on it so that your stuff doesn't fall out everything. It was really cool. But the dog so, stroller? Yeah. The dog stroller. <laughs> All right. So I drive over to Dothan. Of course, you know, it's a gun range, so it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, right? I'm driving through this field, and I find it, and I pull up there. And I get there a few minutes early because that's the way I roll. And there's I'm like, where is everybody? What do I do? I don't know exactly where to go. What's going to go on? And I get out of the truck, and I walk up, and there's a little table set up. It was really simple. Nothing to it whatsoever. Paid my fee, which, by the way, the Dothan Gun Club over there was Dan— 25 bucks to enter 3 Gun. Now, there's, this is a local club match. This is not 3 Gun Nation or anything like that. There's no prize table or anything when you're done. This is just getting there and have some fun. So 25 bucks? Hey, sure. You bet. Mm-hmm. I paid $50, to be honest. I hope Dan's not listening. <laughs> so, I pay my 25 bucks and I stand around and, uh, next thing I know, there's a, a guy standing next to me said, I haven't seen you before. Are, are you new here? Like, yeah, he said, I'm new here too. I said, How did you not see me here before? Anyway. Um it just as soon as I got there, people were talking to me, and uh, it was a really great group to shoot with um I think there were about twelve of us give or take, and I have not had more fun in my life than that and helpful like you would not believe um i have do not have a shotgun caddy for any shells or anything like that. I was I, I've got uh one of those things from Walmart you put over the stocks you can stick five or six rounds in and that was that was all. And I figured, well, hopefully there's nothing with more than 20 rounds. The very first stage, as the, the when you go to three-gun, you, you pay your fee, and then they give you the safety briefing, and then they give you, for every different stage you're going through, the range officer gives you a stage briefing. As he was giving me a stage briefing, he says, and this one is, I forget now exactly, it's like 25 shotgun targets. Oh, crap. All right, start shoving them in my the pocket. And, and while I was doing that, one of the other shooters looked at me and said, what are you doing? said, I, I don't have a shotgun caddy and there's 20 some odd, um, targets on the stage and I know that, um, I'm gonna miss. <laughs> that sucks. So I'm gonna need some extra ammo on top of that. He said, oh, hang on. And he, uh, I, this is what you always read about and it's true, 100% true. He said, hang on just a second. He walked over, picked up his, an extra shotgun caddy out of his, his, his cart and everybody had them. There were like seven or eight carts sitting all around there. Picked up a shotgun caddy, walked over here, you can borrow that. It's like, okay, great. And I was sitting there, and people were watching me stick my Glock magazines down in my pockets. And uh one of the other new guys, it was a, an officer, a uh, police officer, said, um, do you need a mag holster for that? Oh, I don't want to impose on you. He said, no, no, hang on, I'll go get one. So he went and grabbed a mag. It's like exactly the way people were talking. It was just so awesome, man. Uh, the quality of people there is just absolutely amazing. I'm sure it's the same at all the events. It was such a blast. And I break out the camera, that's the pictures you guys saw, and it goes even further. I break out the camera and I are ready to start taking pictures. And I am, I've got a really nice camera, but I don't, and I've read all kinds of stuff about photography, but my practical experience is zero, basically. Um, other than, you know, I don't know what I'm doing, taking pictures of stuff kind of thing. Put it on auto, click, click, click. And as I went to go take the first couple of pictures, one of the guys, one of the other shooters was standing next to me. And he said, Oh, that's a nice camera. And he said, can I see it? And he looked at it and he said, you've got it on auto. Yeah. He said, um, can I give you some advice? Sure, man. He said, okay, I used to take pictures at matches. I'm like, oh, just, I mean, this is a blessing. It's amazing. I used to take pictures at matches. Here's what you do. And, and he shows me all the settings. And of course, I screw them up and don't get them right until we're on the fifth um, bay, the fifth stage after that. But he showed me the settings, and that's stuck in my head now, and I remember how to do all that stuff. And uh, that was just, I mean, great information. So they're helpful not only just with, uh, with your guns. They're helpful in all aspects. It was really awesome. My very first stage was um, a major adventure. Yeah, they told me the rules, and I've always heard people talk about this. Uh, everything goes out whew, out of your brain when that buzzer goes off, man. It's all mental. It's, it's just such a blast. You forget everything, everything that you're doing. It's, when I finished that first stage, and I'd almost stepped over bounds, and you know, as, as I would walk towards something, people were watching me, and, and I didn't know this, but you know, after I'd watch with some of the other new guys, I realized that's what they were doing with me too. Like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna, and then as soon as I started to get close enough where I, they knew I was probably gonna make a mistake, like step up completely out, they went, whoa, 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 you know, and I turned around and stopped looking at them go, what? Don't cross the thing. And I'm like, that's like 10 seconds. Like, it doesn't matter. You were DQ'd. <laughs> okay. So, you know, they, they, they prevented me from making any serious errors. Um, uh, just constant, you know, help and, 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 Wonderful people just giving me great uh, great advice all the way through. And so, you know, I, I didn't finish high in the ranks. I won't talk about my actual placement. Well, it look up the was it? But, well, I'm not going to worry about that. No, but it was but not no, was the, the bottom. bottom. It was not the bottom. You did not come in we dead had last. Newbies. I did not come in dead last. So, right? of no, all I'm not gonna of worry the, about the
3: first-time competitors, you were not worse than they
0: were. No, I was not. So, there you go. What? All good things. That's right. It was, and as we went on to shoot at different stages, um, it was amazing how you realize I thought I knew how to use my equipment because I went out to a range, and I set up my own little three-gun stuff. Like, we've got a range that I'm allowed to do that kind of thing in, and, you know, I'll set my rifle down, and I'll start my own buzzer, and I'll pick it up, and I'll go around, and I'll shoot. And it's just not, I mean, it doesn't even compare to the actual competitive experience. Your, Your adrenaline is really rushing so high. And you know, it's like there's a with my AR. You know, this one stage started with the AR. I think if I remember right, and the targets are about 25, 30 feet, and I've got a, a Vortex Spark 2 and the Vortex magnifier sitting behind it. Magnifier down on the rifle, and I picked that rifle up, and I I can't see find the target, can't because the target's so close and it's a little eight inch plate, you know, and I can't find the stupid target because the magnifier's there. And when I finished the round, one of the guys was like, "Why didn't you just? Is it hard to pull your magnifier off or something?" Oh, yeah, I can do that. I'd forgotten. So it was just constantly like that through the entire match. I got better as time went on. You know, I started to settle in, and I was had a great compliment paid to me. when After my first round, uh, one of the guys came up to me, uh, an older gentleman. I loved all the guys there, but this guy especially was really wonderful. He was there with his wife, and she was shooting too. And by the way, she outshot everybody except for the uh range owner who designed most of the stages. So uh he came up to me, and he said, um, don't worry give yourself about you know 10 12 matches you'll be good you'll you'll settle in and after I shot my final stage he uh he said oh don't worry you'll be good give yourself five or six matches and I said you said 10 or 12 the first he said yeah you've gotten a lot better I said, wow seriously you know but I was really shocked at you guys have heard me talk about how I how I suck, right? Uh, and we joked about how I can't hit the broad side of a barn and, and all that kind of stuff. And we talked about my trip up to see Iraq vet, and, you know, me pinging steel at 300 yards for the first time and going, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Um, but even then, you know, that was from bench rest. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to do this any other way. And I was, when I got to the final stage, there was a 220 yard or so set of targets, 16 targets out between 200 and 300 yards, I think. I, I don't remember exactly. And you have to run a couple hundred feet to get to your spot. So I'm running full tilt with my rifle in hand to get to that spot to be able to shoot. And these targets are out there at 220 yards or so. I plopped the rifle down on a rock, standing up behind it. And I think I don't know because I haven't seen the video, but I think I missed four or five shots out of 16 um, at that distance, and shocked the mess out of me. I mean seriously, Um, because I don't know don't know exactly how big the targets were, but they weren't you know huge like three foot gongs that I was shooting when I was with the rack up there in Atlanta. These were little tar- smaller targets, probably 8 or 12 inches. And I was hitting the mess out of them. And when I first time I pulled the trigger and I heard ding, there was about a 3 to 5 second delay. Did I really hear that? And I just stopped cuz I froze for a second and then I continued to shoot. So, yeah, it was man, and when I pulled out my pistol during that first stage and I hit the targets, and I didn't miss any. I don't think I did anyway. But I did a heck of a lot better. I may have missed one or two and what? I had targets, you know, and and again, it was this shock of what I'm actually performing better than I thought I was going to perform. Again, you know, it's not a great performance, but heck of a lot better than I thought I was going to do. Uh, it was it was a total blast. I won't talk about my major faux pas with shotgun reloading, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you guys well, want to find me somewhere, we can do that. But let me, let me ask some uh, questions, Anthony. Yeah.
3: So how long did it take you to kind of feel like you'd settled in, like? You'd gotten there. You'd kind of gotten over the, okay, I'm the newbie. I've never seen any of you before. I mean, when did you feel comfortable?
0: I felt comfortable with all the people after the first stage. After I saw all the people shoot, I realized that, you know, these are not, like, guys that are going to shoot and make fun of me. Um, They're not going to uh, cause problems. They're going to help. They're going to give me all this wonderful, helpful advice. I mean, after that first stage, everybody was just, you know, so helpful. I wouldn't, everybody didn't come and focus on me. Don't get that kind of a thing. It wasn't like that at all. But you know, I would, fi- I finished the stage and I walk back and the guy would walk up and go, Hey, you know, if do this, that, or the other thing. And they, they weren't being overly critical at all. It was really super helpful advice. Mm-hmm. So that's a first stage read, um, is really when I got with the people, the shooting, um, Probably after the second stage, I yeah. started to feel like I was settling in a little bit. I still made a large number of mental errors sure. after that. Yeah. You know, it's, there's one of the stages called walk through the woods and, uh, the pistols, the pistol targets were out at 50 feet and I, 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 got through that and then I picked up the shotgun to go down walking through the woods and shoot clays on the other side, which is just unbelievable fun, shooting while moving. It's awesome. I picked up the shotgun, I started walking, they went, whoa! And this is the last stage of the day. It's like, dude, you just passed one, that's like two steps, only taken two steps. I mean, there's a target immediately when you pick up your, your, your shotgun. Right. And I'd already forgotten where the targets were. You know. So I mean, it was just fraught with mental errors, not remembering the field, not remembering how everything's go, how everything goes. Now I understand why you see people walking the stage, you know, you see them right. and they're, and they're memorizing things. And, and I figured that out after the second.
3: Well, but um, that, that sounds like it's mostly experiential.
0: Yeah, it is. And like you said, you know, you get through a few, matches like that and you'll kinda of settle in. There's one this Sunday. Um and if I have enough ammo, I'm going.
3: So tell me, um as a as a weekend fun thing to do. I mean, do you rate this up there as something that really kind of you know fulfills that excitement, that uh, gives yeah. you a, a real kinda uh, a full day experience. I mean, was it, was it a, an overall experience or was it kind of anticlimactic? I mean.
0: Oh no, it was, it was so amazing, man. Um, when we, uh, started the day again, you know, you, you kind of get to know the personalities of everybody really quickly because everybody's talking, everybody's joking the whole time. And there's a, a point along in there where one of the guys other than Dan, Dan's the range owner again, other than Dan, and I cannot remember his name, designed a couple of the stages. And you know how it gets when people get together and they're all good nature and we can all pick on each other. It's, they were, do you mean this is two bays and I'm going to shoot my pistol while I'm walking backwards, passing targets and I can't break 180 degrees and they're on both sides of me. And then I'm going to dump my pistol and have to run 200 feet to the next bay. My shotgun sitting there unloaded. Are you serious? You know, I mean, it was, it was just amazing. We picked on each other so hard. Um, it, it was, it was so much fun. Uh, as far as an overall experience kind of thing, yeah, man, because um, it we got there, I got there at eight o'clock in the morning I didn't leave till four, I think four o'clock in the afternoon. It was all day. that sounds like a
3: very full day,
0: yes, very full day It's only five stages and only twelve yeah. people
3: well did you uh did you find it kind of uh helpful um of of some benefit to watch the others go through the stages?
0: Yes, and thank goodness I was never first, never first um And, uh, (laughs) we got to, to RO, everybody took turns doing range officer. And, you know, most everybody there is much more experienced than I am. And so they're, they're very familiar with everything. And, you know, I I didn't know that I was going to, that they were going to ask me to, they said, you don't have to, if you don't want to, I was like, no, I'd like to, I'd like to have that experience as well. So, you know, like you said, experience wise, you know, they're giving you the opportunity to do things that, you know, you might not get the opportunity to do otherwise. And they had seen me handle my weapons enough. They didn't ask me to do that on the first stage or anything. It was well into the day. I think it was stage four. So they, they had seen me work with my weapons enough. They knew that I was cognizant of safety, um, et cetera, so that, I would, that I would be okay. And so they walked me through, you know, all the different commands, which I, I pretty much knew already. But when you realize you're the one that's going to have to say them out loud, oh, what do I say again? So, you know, I wasn't really familiar with that. Walked through that, and they asked me to RO, and I said, I don't they had a discussion about who I should RO. Well, let him RO Dan. Dan's, again, is a range owner. And if you see his shotgun on there, his shotgun has a magazine that's about a foot and a half long sticking out of the bottom of it. It's got a big buttstock on it. Um a collapsible buttstock and a big, uh, some sort of a handguard on it. It goes all the way out to the end of the, uh, the barrel and a nice, um grip on that thing. And it's, it's a, a bright blue, metallic blue shotgun. I mean, it's his baby, obviously. In some of the pictures you can see him stroking it with the magazine. It's, it's hilarious. And, this was a stage where you start off with pistol and then, and move to shotgun. And this was the, it was the run backwards stage. And Dan is such a he's such a character. As he said, well, yeah, you can RO me. You know, I, I'm probably not going to just screw up too much on safety. If there's a squib, I know I'm going to recognize it. I'm probably the best person for you to RO because I'm probably the person here with the most experience. So they let me RO Dan and he is running backwards. And so I have to run backwards <laughs> with him, you know, and, and pay attention to what he's doing, pay attention to what I'm doing. Um, and then run behind him at full tilt all the way back over to, to the next bay. And that was, that was one heck of an experience. Um, to, to just to be able to RO, you really kind of get a quick insight as to what it would, would be like to RO some of these bigger matches with some of these guys that are really speed shooters. Uh, it would be insane. Absolutely insane.
3: Well, I tell you what, next time you, uh, undertake another match, you're going to have to come back and give us a, uh, another glimpse on how your journey to three yes. gun is uh, progressing and uh, uh, let us know uh, whether you're getting any better. Uh, at some yeah. point you're going to have to reveal how you're placing.
0: Alright, I, I, 10 out of 12. So that's not bad. No, no, that's no. It's not bad.
3: It's not the worst.
0: My, no, when you consider, <laughs> you know, that I had some failure to engage, which I don't even know what that was, mm-hmm. uh, if, you, if you don't fire at a target, it's a greater penalty than if you fire at it and miss. So I had failure to, I had a failure to engage on the first stage. Um, I had a part in that one stage with the shotgun that was unloaded. Uh, I had shells in my pocket, uh, shells on the carrier. It was, it was like 26 or some odd. And I'd forgotten that there were, all, that what I was supposed to do was load off the carrier because I was actually doing dual loading and I actually could somewhat do it halfway. So I was dual loading and then I went to reach to the shotgun on, um on the hilt. I forgot on the stock. I forgot I actually had shells on the stock. So I started reaching my pocket for my extra ones and I ran out and then I started to put the shotgun down. So I lost all kinds of seconds there. And then I put it down, I turned it sideways and I saw, Oh, shells. Put them back in and fired the last two or three targets that were there. So I mean, there, there are just constant things throughout the whole day that I was, that I was messing up on just little mental things that were, were really killing my time. Um, I, when I fired my, I'd fired one slug out of my shotgun before. I fired two slugs in quick succession out of my shotgun. I say quick. There were about a second and a half between, five, between shots, and, yeah, that hurts. <laughs> it's like, whoa. I knew it was going to kick more, but, man. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, that let us like know it. the next time you have one.
0: Yeah, you bet.
3: We'll definitely come back and touch on it again.
1: You're listening to the best of the AR-15 Podcast. This is episode 152. That was Reed and Anthony talking about Anthony's first experience with 3-Gun. If you want to hear more about that, you can check out episode 130 of the AR-15 Podcast at our website, ar15podcast.com. Next up, the best of this year, was just a recent episode we did on home defense, J.W. took a lot of time studying ballistics and the different loads and different calibers and everything that go in to a home defense situation that might come up in your life. J.W. had great knowledge, dropped a lot during this, and it has to be one of my favorites of 2015. From AR-15 Podcast Episode 144, here's J.W. talking about the ballistics for home defense when using your AR.
3: So, J.W., you have really kind of um, run the traps on the issue of ballistics. So why don't you take this next portion of our discussion tonight?
4: Yeah, this is a subject that gets a lot of debate on the Internet um, because people have opinions, and they some people do some testing, um, and they kind of read into those tests in different ways. They say, okay, well, if something goes through this many layers of drywall, then it's good or bad, Um and so there's there's a, a debate that still goes on as far as, hey, do you want a round that um, is heavier, that's going to expand, stay together, travel through a target, or something that's a little bit lighter that's going real quick, and as soon as it hits a target, it just explodes into a million little pieces. I think um, people nowadays tend to lean uh, in one direction, and it's towards the heavier expanding rounds, and that's because... First of all, of barrier-blind requirements um, towards uh, entering clothing, uh, other sorts of things that might be in the way um, so that rounds aren't deflected, aren't uh, blown up all over the place without having hit the target. Um, it's also an issue of ranges. Um, the rounds that are designed to fragment and explode all over the place, um, that typically happens after 50 to 100 yards in these very up-close ranges, um, that round might enter, exit a bad guy, and then start expanding. Um, they are traveling 8, 10, 12 inches before that expansion occurs, and so you're just punching twenty-two caliber holes into um, the bad guy. Um, so something that's going to open up and expand uh, is probably going to do better for you. Um, the 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 big side of the discussion that people tend to go to is okay well what if i miss and it goes into the hallway and then it through a uh, wall through another wall out the house uh into the neighbor's house um and they say well rifle rounds just go forever um when people do the testing with say a 9 mm round it's going to go further than the 556 five, because the 556 five, is small it's catching all the little imperfections in the drywall, it's tumbling, it's starting to break apart. Something like a 9mm or forty-five is actually going to just sail right through, and it, it could be even more of a risk. You talk about something like a slug from a shotgun, there's so much energy behind it, it's going to sail through your walls. Um, buckshot will go through the same drywall, but as it does so, it will expand dramatically rather than traveling in one fairly consistent direction. It will expand so much that it's really becoming a risk after it goes through that first wall. Um, so people, it seems like they're tending to lean more towards the heavier um, barrier-blind rounds that are consistent, that they hit a bad guy and they do damage right away. Um And and the discussion of, okay, what does it happen what happens after you miss the bad guy and it goes through a couple walls, you're you're gonna have some liability issues either way because you have rocked off around into something that you shouldn't have. Um so are you setting up yourself from your defensive position where you're firing towards something that you shouldn't be? Is it the kids' room that is Directly across the hallway well you probably shouldn't be rocking off those rounds um, is it are you set up in an apartment complex um, where there's rooms all around you I'm not really sure how you take care of that sort of situation uh, because missed rounds are you're at a huge liability at that point um, because they could be going into other people's property um, so I think the best way to not over penetrate is to hit the bad guy that round's going to dump a bunch of energy into the bad guy first, uh, and it may penetrate beyond them, but at that point, it's dumped so much of its energy, it's it's not going to be as much of an issue. Um, so this is just one of those cardinal rules of know your target and what's beyond. Um, it's a tough one to consider in the real short timelines, the high-energy, high high-stakes um, high decision-making process of a home entry um but it's something that you got to be considering you got to think about okay if somebody comes in this door where am i going to be where might they be what's behind them um and kind of play out those those scenarios in your house to see what the what the ballistic uh consequences are of rounds flying uh, in a certain direction you know as far as go ahead
3: you know i think the the biggest difficulty that is brought to this discussion is that people want to oversimplify it to the point of a few tangible factors that go into play in determining what is the best. And I just don't think that there is a best. Mm-hmm. I mean...
4: Yeah, if, if you wanted to make sure you weren't going to punch through X layers of drywall, then you just run uh, munitions or frangible rounds or something like that. But that's... That's not what you're trying to accomplish. You're trying to stop a threat from hurting you or your family.
3: Right. And you know.
4: To achieve a certain level of lethality, that bullet's gotta be flying a certain speed, and it's gotta be carrying a certain amount of energy with it, and, and there's consequences of that if you're not putting those rounds where they need to go.
3: You know, the idea that you're gonna be in your home defense situation and that it's gonna, you know, turn into a gunfight, like you're in the middle of a Scarface movie, is, I think, unrealistic. Chances. And it's one are. reason
4: why I wouldn't recommend using <laughs> a machine gun for home defense.
3: You know, well, we can, we can belabor all of the variables that go into play, but you know, I think you bring up the best point. You need to rely on your fundamentals to understand the, the issues at play here. You know, what's your target? What's behind your target? You know, is it a viable target? And, I think you just have to trust.
4: And are you that, confident in your own abilities mm-hmm. to put rounds into that target? Right.
3: I think you have to trust that just modern technology alone within that, that band of options is going to be sufficient to do what you need done. And, you know, I think that really what it comes down to is you need to end the threat. And I think that happens in a number of ways, not all of which result in someone being dead on your floor. And so to the degree that you can keep yourself safe, keep your family safe, and in the threat, these choices give you broader latitude because you don't have to worry about picking the singular best thing for the job. There might be many options available to you.
4: As far as ammunition, there's a couple that people tend to recommend a lot. Hornady has the tap line. Uh, i think it's like tactical application something or other um there's a 75 round excuse me 75 grain uh round that is like a boat tail hollow point that yeah. is supposed to perform really well they take some extra precautions in their qc on those rounds they know that people are depending on them for home defense or for police applications so they make sure every every one of them goes bang um, that one's uh, definitely recommended a lot if you're looking at something closer to like 55, 50 grain, even like 47 grain bullets, those are the ones that are running real fast, and they're going to explode into a million pieces uh, when they hit a target. Um, I would avoid them. Uh, I'd go higher at the 65, 70, 75 grain bullets. Ensure mm-hmm. um, your the twist rate on your rifle might not be perfect for the heavy bullet, but What are our engagement distances here? A lot less than 25 yards. Um, I don't think the twist rate is going to be coming into that big of a uh, consideration.
3: No, not that short a distance. I think you're really talking about um, the projection of energy into your target.
4: The other thing that comes into play is um, muzzle velocity and how running an SBR might affect that. Um, I know SBRs are are really recommended for CQB, moving around, tight quarters, doing all your nuclear submarine ops, um, but it, it might be reducing the muzzle velocity to a point where that round isn't performing like it was designed to.
3: Uh, if
4: you're chopping off a whole bunch of barrel length and you're barely going over 2,000 feet per second with your 5.56, um, it might not be performing the way the the ammo manufacturers made it to. And so you should definitely take a look at that and see whether, whether you're comfortable using that ammo or maybe you want to choose something a little different. Maybe we want to go uh, 300 blackout or something that can still deliver energy, um, but with a shorter barrel length.
3: You know, and that brings up a good point. I have heard commentators bring up uh, the 300 blackout in that role comparing it to the 45 ACP. Mm -hmm. You have a projectile in the forty-five that's about 230 grains, and if you're talking about a subsonic 300 blackout, it's 220 on average. I've seen it, you know, as low as, I think, 187 for a Gemtech subsonic, and I haven't seen much higher. But when you're talking about those ballistics, that's pretty substantial performance. I don't think most people would argue with the ability of a forty-five to deliver some, you know, ballistic, you know, consequences uh if it wasn't uh, brought to bear. So the 300 blackout, having that going for it, add on top of that that I think at a minimum you're talking probably an 8-inch barrel to maybe, you know, if you're dealing with a non-SBR, a minimum of a 16-inch barrel. And you're looking at far higher sight radiuses, far larger um uh, application of that, force into the projectile, but it's not a rifle powder that is used in most of the loads or the load data that I've seen. It's pistol powder. And so that's something that I think is more geared towards that 16 and shorter inch barrel than opposed to the consideration of the 5.56 that may be bleeding off too much muzzle energy if you get uh, below 16, so...
4: Right, I think it's almost a different um, application intent, almost like if you look at police usage, um, <clears throat> when w- the the teams that you see running MP5s, um, subcaliber, submachine guns, it's not that one round of 9mm is going to put a guy down. The intention for those little subguns is to put a whole bunch of rounds into a tight group because they can rock them off quick because of the slow recoil it's short bursts on target um so so stepping up from that to a full carbine like you see most police departments having now um you can put down a bad guy with one or two rounds whereas with those subcaliber rounds it's going to take you half a magazine into each guy to really be confident about what you're doing um so you're definitely stepping up when you go to a, a rifle round. Survivability numbers are um way higher for handgun rounds. Uh it's like 60-80% of people survive handgun rounds um where it's it's like the opposite of that for rifle. You're looking at 10 to 20% survival rate. So there's an effectiveness argument there too.
3: Absolutely. So you know I think you have a good point here. The the very last point on this topic and that is that the best way not to overpenetrate is a wall is to make sure that the bad guy is between you and that wall, right? Mm-hmm. So, what else can we take away from the ballistic side of this?
4: Um, it'd be nice to run ballistic gel tests on your own ammo, and on your own rifle, all that, but most of us really don't have the capability to do that. Um so I would depend on the proven rounds like the Hornady Tap, um like some of the the heavy bonded bullets um that are out there, manufacturers that you trust that it's not just Joe Bob's reloads that you pick up at the gun shop or the uh gun show, and um make sure it cycles in your gun i mean you you might feel bad buying this fancy self defense ammo just like for your handgun and firing it off at the range but you need to put a couple mags through your gun. Make sure it feeds just fine. Make sure you got a good box, good case of ammo. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be afraid to rip off a couple magazines to uh, make sure everything's kosher.
3: Well, and that goes back to your comment about reliability. You know, if you're going to build a rifle that has uh, components that are tried and true and tested, make sure that your ammunition is. Yep.
1: JW sharing some great stuff on ballistics as it pertains to home defense with your AR. If you want to hear more from that show, you can go to ar15podcast.com, download episode 144. Once again, this is the best of the AR-15 podcast for 2015. Uh, we've looked at 3-gun, we've looked at ballistics for home defense with JW, and this was one that stood out from earlier in the year. The guys had Steve Fisher on. They talked a lot about taking classes and getting more training. The part of this interview that really stuck out for me was Steve kind of giving tips on if you've never been to a training class before, how to get involved, what to bring, uh, what questions you can ask, if there is such thing as a dumb question. So Steve Fisher joined the guys in episode 128 of the AR-15 podcast, and here's what he had to say about being prepared for taking that first training class
2: you know preparation for the class is, is, is key and it has to start well in advance. Um, it's either physical, mental preparation, um, you know, gear checklist. Go through all your equipment. Make sure things are functioning. Make sure it's zeroed. Make sure you have, you know, a spare bolt carrier for your M4 carbines or whatever it is you're bringing. Uh, you know, a secondary handgun, tertiary lights. If there's a low light program, you know, besides weapon mount lights, there's batteries. just batteries, batteries. Those things that make things bright when you turn it on, and that little red dot thing in your sight. Those, those are critical.
4: Am- ammo that actually goes pew. Oh,
2: yeah. A uh, class in West Virginia earlier this year I had had one dude kill five guns because of ammo. He was toxic. Mm. It was just
4: horrible. <laughs> I know two weeks ago there was some serious mortar action um, right outside the shoot house.
2: Yes. So. Yes, there was. We, ha- we had a student who, who's been in several classes who's relatively switched on, uh, chose to skimp on ammunition you know, had a bunch of some offshore steel case. And before the basement keyboard commandos come out on this, I've shot 80,000 rounds of Wolf in a month and it's never given me a problem. It's phenomenal. Shut up. <laughs> um, I, I've literally had rental gun, loader guns, not really rental guns that I had in my old program that saw nothing, but I studied died of Wolf and there was problems. That's just, Factual. I've had other guns that have ran it really well. Um, Knowing what your gun likes and will eat and will function with ahead of time is critical. Make sure you showed up with a pre-zero carbine. But the biggest thing of all that I tell students is do not skimp on the ammunition for training. You will only take away your learning time, the time that you will spend on the line shooting. And not only that, but you'll annoy the hell out of the instructor because you showed up with junk
4: and there's some places that have partnerships with ammo companies where you can actually pay and the ammo will yeah. be there waiting for you for the class and you know you're getting something that's going to work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and finding those sources are great. Um, you know, I, I I recommend several companies to people for that, for ammunition requirements. Uh, there's some awesome people in, in this industry that have supported me over the years that are friends that I've seen come up in this in this business. Um one of them, Great Lakes Ammunition, uh, you know, they've got a big banner on the side of the Alliance uh, shoot house there. Uh, they offer good discount to students. There's, you, you know, Mag Tech, I think, does with some other instructors in the industry. Corban, you know, ask the instructor. A lot of times if you call the instructors up or you send them an email, hey, is there anybody you'd recommend for ammunition that can drop ship to the class location? So i traveling by air, or, you know, it's hard to find locally, yeah, generally they have a good recommendation for you, and you'd be surprised how many companies or ammunition manufacturers actually have a working program for those instructors that could benefit, you know, the students as well as the instructor, because obviously the more ammunition we get to students, the more the students come to class and shoot. Yep. So, so, so when,
3: Steve, when when you're putting on a course, and, you know, if you have some that hasn't been real honest with themselves when it comes to the gut check how do you handle that I mean are you going to give them the benefit of the doubt until they give you reason to to give pause or do you I mean what's your procedure
2: I eat them alive, I throw them off the range, and I shoot their ammunition while they're in their car crying, rocking back and forth in a fetal position. Um, no, to be <laughs> brutally honest... Sign up at sentinelconcepts.com. Sign up at sentinelconcepts, and yes. you're to get shoot up and spit out. No, um honestly there 's a time because everybody has different levels of performances performance anxiety um which we usually put on ourselves in some situations. You know the guy may be a very proficient shooter as long as there 's really no true safety issues that they 're functioning they 're manipulating the gun correctly they 're working you know their safety's well they 're not muzzle sweeping everybody they're still learning going on that is occurring that they are capable of being educated through and helped um Then there's also that that other half of the coin where I have to look at and go, hey, look, dude, this class might not be just exactly right for you right now. Um, You've paid for it. I can respect that, but here's what I'm going to recommend. Why don't you come in a couple of weeks or next month or whatever the case may be to XYZ class I'm holding. You don't have to pay for that. You've already paid me for this class. I will roll that over into the other class for you. That will be more beneficial that will help you, that will gain you more experience, more knowledge, more repetition, and more guidance that will then allow you eight months from now to come back over here and then perform at this level. And those are the things you really have to work with people on. And that that truthfully has happened a lot over my years of instructing and teaching.
3: Do you find that you get a pretty good response from that? Because that sounds like a very diplomatic, professional way of handling something that I'm sure it can be a little difficult.
2: It is. It's a touchy balance. And as J-Dev knows, I'm a very sensitive person to people's needs. Sure. <laughs> it's, um, you know, truthfully, the response as well, there's a time to have fun with people and be joking and relaxed about things. But when it comes down to all those issues that they're really there for, then it's you really have to break it down for them at some point. It's usually by td one lunchtime you can see where the wheels have fallen off and it's become a train wreck and it's a train wreck for a lot of reasons and I use that analogy in class a lot with students and I'll just going to go train wreck what's a train wreck you know and when I break down a train wreck for them they get it but it's pretty easy. It's a very reasonable thing. You, you give them a little bit of that, that self-face saving kind of thing. Um, it's like, look, bro, if, if you just want to, you know, hey, stay, see what's going on in the rest of the class. You're more than welcome to if you choose that you want to leave or you want to go and then you can come back later and recycle through. I have no problem with that, you know, and that's just that self-awareness and not having an ego and having an understanding that, you know what? Yeah, I kind of went over the deep end on this one just because I you know, thought, hey, this is going to be a great class. It's close and it's local. And I figured I'd jump on it, but I don't need to know that other stuff that they are teaching. Those other basic classes, you know. Mm. Yeah. Amazing.
4: What are some of those things that um, are key to bring along with you? whether you're flying in or driving in. Um, we kind of touched on batteries, ammo, um, I guess, food, water, note-taking supplies.
2: What, what do you think this is, a bug on class, j Food, water, <laughs> ammo, a knife, a generator, and multi-cam so I can survive in the mountains of Florida.
4: Oh, no, Hammocks, um, I've seen those showing up at lots of classes. Yeah, don't, don't
3: forget oh, the, the seeds. seeds.
2: The seeds. You yeah. need seeds because you'll be able to plant after the EMP burst, bro. Yep, That's right, why I have a neat yep. dog. <sighs> anyway, um, sustainment items for class you know hydration is key uh truthfully you, you know dehydration will crush you faster than an ex-wife um so so that's a key component hydration water water more water some type of electrolyte replacement drink um i recommend either the camelback elixir tablets they come in two flavors caffeinated or not um i prefer the decaf just gonna tell you that right now there's a great story behind that and Jacob knows it, I think. Um, or the stuff from Vitalite is absolutely phenomenal. You need it. Not that sweet you're drinking over there, Reed. But, so, <laughs> but hydration is key. Calorie depletion will beat you down just as fast as hydration will, especially in hot weather. People don't like to eat. You need to keep the calories up. You're still expending them. Salty snacks, trail mix, jerky, or whatever your preference is. Um a bag chair, pop-up canopy if you're driving. You know, so a lot of ranges and facilities that we teach at don't have much shade or, you know, just a space to get out of the weather. That, that's actually within proximity the vehicles. So, you know, we're, we're seeing people getting smarter about this now over the years training that they're, like, showing up with, you know, a 10 by 10 pop-up canopy, a couple of fold-out bag chairs, uh, coolers. You know, I, I've been on the road now for the past five-odd weeks. I've had a Yeti cooler in the back of my truck and literally, you know, 10 days worth of ice in that thing, and the water that is in there is so cold it's not even funny. You know, a, a good cooler, you need, you know, sustainment items as far as, you know, change of clothing, rain gear, extra footwear, bring these things with you when you are traveling to class. It will only help the experience. You need to change of that footwear every day from class. Get in that second pair of shoes, the first pair may be wet, soppy, you know the feet are hot sweaty tired you know good socks are lifesaver people overlook all these little things my cotton socks are great i wear them all the time no dude you need to get into some smart wars and bridgedales or 0.6s you know you need some good clothing you need sunblock you need insect repellent you need chem lights or low light stuff so the laundry list
4: just i guess we are prepping for the apocalypse (laughs)
2: pretty much brother about the only thing we aren't taking is the generator the kitchen sink and some amish so it just is what it is but you need to bring everything that you think you need to have to get you through those couple days on the ranges and to possibly get you through that those climate changes that do happen very quickly i mean I was here in Ohio back in April, and we went from 70 and sunny to 35 degrees and rain for two of those days and back up to 80 degrees. So you've got to be prepared for the worst, hope for the best, and just drive on, you know.
3: Uh, Steve, let me ask you this. Um, Does it make a lot of sense to give your instructor a call and say, hey, I'm signed up for your class? Uh, Do I need to bring you know, this piece of gear, or is it okay if I bring that? I mean, just talking it out with your instructor, is that a wise thing to do, just to make sure that you're not going to show up and be uh, GI butt of everybody's jokes or um show up and be completely unprepared because all you brought was your rifle and some ammo?
2: Being that guy. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's always wise to, you know, email the instructor or their, you know, their admin staff, which will get back to the instructor, say, you know, hey, on your website it says bring a second gun, you know, or have, you know, cleaning kits or whatever. You know, is that really necessary? Do I really need this? Um, You know, what are the absolutes that you must have for the class? Because, hey, I'm I'm on a budget. I'm, I'm a single father or single mother. I've got, you know, one pistol, and I really can't afford to bring a second gun. You know, I don't have one. I could borrow one, but it's not something I'm familiar with. They're very understanding about that. You know, ask the right questions, tell them the situation, and they will be more than happy to accommodate you with, you know, options, alternatives, and to be able to really give you the lowdown of the absolutes that you have to have.
4: Cool. Um, hey, when I've shown up kind of at the beginning of classes before, I don't know anybody. uh cool. You're kind of getting out of the car. You're nervous to pull out your guns because everyone's going to judge your blaster. You're seeing, okay, who's wearing a frog top, who's got the civvies on. Um, Yeah, I've I've kind of turned that off and just dove in and tried to just meet the people there because everybody's pretty much in the same situation. Um, And so that's that's been awesome, just getting to know the other students in the class. You're not just standing there silent, receiving instruction all weekend all weekend long. You're actually there with some other human beings.
2: Yeah, it, it's important to get that student interaction. and in. um, You know, people show up with the weirdest gear and kit and things of all natures. And I tell people, you know, when I sit students down and I start laying out the day for them and the couple of days that we're going to have, it, it becomes really easy of what are you here for? Why are you here? What are you here to take away from this class? What is the primary role of the carbine to you? And don't give me zombies, because everybody knows you don't use ammo on zombies. You use a sword or a baseball bat. Ammo's for the survivors. That's all there is to it. But what what is the realistic reason that you were here at class, and what are you preparing for? And usually, ultimately, it comes down to, well, it's my home defense gun. I'm like, all right, well, let's discuss your home defense gun. You have a white light, you've got a 30 round magazine in the gun or 28 rounds, whatever you choose to load with. So why are you wearing a plate carrier, dude? When realistically you are going to be fighting with that gun, either midday home invasion, probably with your handgun if it's on your person or from a bunkered in position with that carbine. you know, or it's the, you know, the typical scenario. Well, it's 3 a.m. in the morning and I hear breaking glass and you know, that's awesome, dude. So you're going to like get up, throw on your plate carrier, have six magazines and all this garbage on you when again, you're grabbing the gun and you get what's with the gun. And people need to get a gut check and really start thinking about it. I mean, you look at pictures of myself teaching over the years, you'll see an evolution of things. I'm on the range in a pair of jeans, sometimes flip flops, tennis shoes, whatever it may be. I've got magazines in my back pocket. Unless the class calls for specific, specific through a law enforcement contract. Uh, mill or a house where I'm required to wear armor, I'm required to wear battle belts, quote unquote, actually a duty belt when I'm working with agencies, or a type duty type holster. I'm like, you better be a class running what you wear normally every single day. Show up with it and, hey, if you don't have a sling on your carbine and that's what you have in your house, then that's what you use, dude. I don't care. All I care is about your safety, your end goal performance, what you came away with, and then hopefully a better understanding of how you will prevail in that engagement if it ever does happen in your lifetime. And that's all I want students to expect. You know, people put enough stress on themselves when they come to these classes. Like you mentioned, they're worried about what kind of kit do I have? Do I have the latest, greatest charging handle that's like three-point, awesome, you know, dual-sided, tetra-coated, glide, whatever, or I don't care. I don't. I don't care if you show up with a Ruger ten twenty two dude. If you are there to learn and you're willing to learn and that's what you've got, bring it. Let's work with it and do work, man. Stop worrying about everybody else. Worry about you and your fight and your needs, not theirs, because they're not going home with you and they're not going to be the ones behind you helping save you when things go bad in your own world. It's that simple.
4: Awesome. Um Now, after class, obviously, you've made some friends, you've made some contacts. Quite often, there's going to be some industry people that go to these classes either to uh, show off their latest stuff, kind of give you a peek behind the curtain at at what they've been working on, or just to train because that's what they love doing. Um, Keep in touch with them, for sure.
2: Absolutely. There's a lot of good people that come to these classes, um, either other instructors uh, other people in the industry who you know may work for X Y Z gun company, ammo company, optics company, whoever it may be, keep in touch with those people, man. If they offer you their card or their contact, you know you're sitting at dinner, we're back having a beer or two, and we're talking about things. You, you know that's the real true part of the class that meshes and blends. You know it's not just so much the the, the games and the jokes and the pranks that go on online during the downtime. Because you can't get work done during the downtime, you know, for those that really want to do this. It's the after fact, the dinner, the get togethers, where everybody's hanging out, having pizza, beer, or, you know, a cigar out in the parking lot of the hotel. And they're just talking because it's just like we're all buds and we're hanging out and we're talking about things. We're having a good time. And you're like, oh, dude, i really like to catch up on that. You know, you've got information on that product or this this particular one. You have a business card, you know, and they're flying around. And, Stay in touch with those people, man. Those are the key contacts that that you will need later on to get the bottom line information about their products or others that they're dealing with that, that are pretty crucial. You know, they may have the answer to something that you don't or I don't or your other instructors don't as well.
1: Steve Fisher talking with the guys about getting ready for taking that first training class. That was just a part of an interview that Steve did with the guys. You can check out the whole interview and download it at ar15podcast.com. Look for episode 128. And now it's time to announce this week's winner for the Otis Technology Giveaway on our Facebook page and Instagram. This week's winner is Kirby King. Kirby King, please get in touch with us. Send us a message on Facebook. Shoot us an email over there at the AR-15 podcast, and we will get you connected with your prize. Thanks, everybody, for entering. The fine folks at Otis Technology have sent over a ton of maintenance tools and cleaning kits for the AR-15 and AR-10. And they have asked us to give us, give them away on Facebook and Instagram all year long as we have in 2015. So we want to say thank you so much to Otis technology for sponsoring that and getting those kits into your guys' hands. And thank you guys for liking the page and being involved on social media at Instagram and Facebook. We're not going to have any feedback this week. We're going to save it until the guys get back in early January. Uh, right now, wrapping up the show and letting you know that you can send any questions or comments you have to feedback at AR15podcast.com. You can also send us a recorded voicemail using the SpeakPipe plugged in on the right-hand side of the AR15 podcast. Website. We also have a couple of those that will be coming up in the first episode when the guys are back. Subscribe and listen to the AR-15 podcast for free in iTunes or on Stitcher. You can leave us a review so the show can place higher. And when people are searching for content on the AR-15, it will pop up higher to the top of the page. You can also share your pics with us on Instagram at AR-15 Podcast. Tag your pictures with hashtag AR-15 Podcast. You can also check us out on YouTube. uh, Follow us on Facebook. A lot of interaction there, great community building, Uh, facebook.com backslash AR15 podcast. Also check out the other great podcasts on the Firearms Radio Network. Uh, I've been listening to Gun Guy Radio this week and also catching up on This Week in Guns. Great information, great perspective on firearms. If you are interested in firearms at all, I bet you're going to like those two programs, Gun Guy Radio and This Week in Guns. Also, uh, you can help us out by using the Brownells affiliate link for all your AR parts, AR15 parts needs at AR15podcast.com backslash parts. And also the Amazon affiliate links at AR15podcast.com also help to take care of the bandwidth and the other costs that are associated with putting on this production. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 152 of the AR15 podcast to look back at the best in 2015 I'm J.D., hope you have a great New Year's, and we'll see you soon. Hey, since you're already listening to a show on the Firearms Radio Network, then you should check out the God and Guns Podcast. Troy and Doug talk about guns from a Christian perspective and, of course, God. Godandgunspodcast.com slash iTunes. Subscribe now. This has been a production
2: of the Firearms Radio Network. You can find more information at firearmsradio.tv.